Hello, and you're in the front bar of the Royal Mail Hotel on Spencer Street. No, wait, you're in the call room. I'm in the front bar of the Royal Mail Hotel on Spencer Street, which is a very odd experience for me. Um, it's David Griffiths here, one of your co-hosts, owner of the Royal Mail, and um, it's fantastic to be in this room tonight, and apologies for any audio problems from my end, or if I have to wander off and pour beers and so forth. Um, we will get ourselves sorted out a bit more properly to use this studio at this end over coming weeks. Probably a good opportune time just to say that next week we're going to have a week off from the online Meet the Brewers. Just while we're sorting out all the logistics of the pub, uh, we're just going to take a week off from trying to sort out the logistics of uh, doing deliveries and so forth. Um, you'll be all pleased to know that the cool room isn't working properly, as in the actual <laughs> cool room of the pub. So there'll be plenty more good cool material to come in uh, future episodes. Um, but also from me, a very, very big thank you to everyone who's supported the podcast and the online shop. While we've been in lockdown over the last three or four months, uh, the online shop isn't going anywhere. That's still up. But some great new things coming in each week. And um, please continue to support that. And uh, we'll look forward to doing some of our regular Sunday afternoon catch-ups. And we'll probably just have the Zoom room open next Thursday for people to hang out. And um, then we've lined up some more fun guests after that. Uh, by way of my usual little sort of intro type things, um, we've got a fantastic lineup of beers tonight. It's certainly the intention of this podcast that you enjoy them with uh, beer in hand. So if you don't already have either beers from Bright, we really encourage you to get them before you listen in. The ones you specifically need are the Blowhard Pale Ale, the Bright Sour, the MIA IPA, and Mystery Beer Number Two. So that'll be the ones we're talking about tonight. Uh, we don't necessarily suggest that you try to get through all those beers in the time that we have available to us. So if you're live with us in Zoom, feel free to make yourselves a little tasting paddle. Uh, alternatively, if you are um, listening on the podcast version, feel free just to press pause after each of the beers and finish that off before moving on. We'll make it really clear and obvious as we move from one beer to another. Um, Remember to rate and review us on wherever you get your podcast from if you're listening on the podcast version. Uh, it would also be excellent if you're able to share the fact that you're listening either live with us in Zoom or uh, on the podcast on your social medias just to help the, get the word out there about and what we do. Um, I think without any further ado, Travis, we've got some great beers and uh, the guys from Bright are looking all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, mate. So would you like to do the intros and we'll um, we'll get on with things. Evening all. Welcome, guys, uh, to the call room. Um, as you can tell, we've got David in the pub tonight. So um, we are all in different locations as we normally are, but uh, it's good to see the pub back open, obviously, and things getting back to some sort of normality uh, in Victoria and Melbourne. Um, welcome, guys. Well, let's kick off just by sort of you guys giving us a bit of a, a, a picture of where you guys are located in the world of Victoria and uh, paint us a bit of a picture. Yeah, sure. Uh, so we're in, the, um, in Bright, which is uh, nestled in the, in the mountains of the Victorian high country. And um, you know, we've got uh, Mount Hotham and Falls Creek and Mount Buffalo sort of all around us and, um, and lots of other mountains as well. So... Um, you know, it's a great spot for outdoor adventures, um, anything from paragliding to um, cycling along the valleys, um, 
trail running, all those sorts of things. So it's a very much an adventure, outdoor adventure based um, community here, um, which fits really well with what we do. Making all us Melbourne people pretty jealous, I reckon, who haven't been able to get out and do any of that sort of stuff over winter. So, <laughs> um, yeah, go for it. when and uh, an idea on the brewery, when did you guys, well, first off, when did the brewery start? But uh, secondly, to that question, when did you guys start with the brewery? Yeah, so, um, so I founded the brewery back in 2005. Um, we had a business partner at the time and, um, and you know, I'd, I'd been living, uh, I'd been visiting Bright since 2000, moved here in 2003, um, just fell in love with the town and what it had to offer from an outdoor perspective. And, um, and when I moved here, um, started homebrewing with a friend, uh, with my business partner. Um, and, um, and I'd sort of had a bit of an, an idea uh, from traveling, traveling through North America in the 90s and seeing the craft beer um, revolution start to happen there um, and I guess that gave me the idea to have a go at it here especially once I, once we started homebrewing so you know we, we, we did the homebrewing for a few years we went and studied um, brewing courses and um, and uh, and then eventually in 2005 got the brewery up and running and um, you know we started out for the first year just uh, uh, contract brewing at, at Jamison Brewery um, while we were getting our equipment set up and uh, yeah you know we just sort of um, I guess you know since the early days when we started out we just had a couple of tin sheds on a, on a block of land in the middle of Brighton. Brighton was a fairly sleepy town back then. Um, it had its it had it had its busy seasons but um, nothing like it is now so it you know we've sort of grown with the town as the town's grown and um, and grown the business and built the brewery up and you know we've now got a uh you know a 150 seat restaurant with um you know but also catering for about 500 outdoors so we've got a lot of a lot of space here we've got quite a um tour business and uh just a couple of years ago built a dedicated production brewery uh also here in town as well so you know, it's come a long way in the last 15 years yeah mate that's it you're right. What you say about you know bright going from that that small sleepy town to to that what it is today sort of thing, um, and I mean it's, how amazing would it be to yeah to have you guys there sort of growing within the space sort of thing. So no, that's that's awesome. Um, we've got a pretty diverse range of beers that we're going to uh, uh, taste and get through tonight. And you guys decided to start with the um, uh, with the pale ale. Give us a bit of an insight. What, what made you choose to start with that one and um, give us an idea on how all this came about. Sure. So th this is one of our, um, this has been with us pretty much since we started. It was about the, I think it was the second beer that we made, um, the, the Blowhard Pale Ale. And, and really what we wanted to do was um, showcase that North American style Pale Ale that was popular at the time. Um, you know, it fairly, um, forward hop characters um very much a uh uh that decent amount of bitterness um and you know it's really interesting and i guess um your your prompting question um gave me a bit of an opportunity to go back and look at how much how we've changed it over the years because it's quite it's quite fascinating to look back and i do remember when we first brewed it um the ibus was similar to what it is now it was around 42 
Um, but we actually had to pull it back. Um, we, we dropped it back to about 28 for yeah. quite a few years just because um, it was... Um, <laughs> what do you want to know? Nobody would drink it. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, we, we have... A, this is one that we've sort of adjusted over the years, but I think it's been a really good stay. And we've had an opportunity to, um, to bring in some, uh, you know, local hops with the Galaxy when that came on board in 2011, 2012. Um, and, uh, you know, pretty much since then, we've, it's stabilized a lot more with uh, how it's been. Yeah. Um, what's, how, how does uh, the feedback go for you guys? Yeah, I'm guessing this is, Obviously, one of your, your tap room beers, it's always on tap there. Um, do, does feedback from customers, you know, shift your way of doing things over the last sort of 15 years? And uh, Yeah, sure. You know, like, I mean, we always take uh, feedback on board. We, you know, we're, we're here to um, make people happy. So if something we're doing is not making people happy, <laughs> then we try and work out what we can do about that. Um, you know, we won't always change beer just because of it, but what we might try and do is think about other styles that we can do to um, that might satisfy those people. And um, you know, certainly if we if we feel that there's room for improvement on a beer, then we'll we'll look at that. Um, you know, how we can how we can achieve that, and that'll be mostly what drives any changes that we'll be making with a specific beer that we've got on on our books. So, um, you know, with, with this, that's um, you know. Uh, even just that we're doing a lot more dry hopping with this now than, than we did originally. And that's something that we've only been able to do, you know, uh, since I think around, it was around 2012 that we started dry hopping it. Um, for, we have quite a number of overseas listeners as well as sort of listeners right around Australia. The name of this beer is Blowhard Pale Ale. We're going to have some listeners look at that name and go, oh, where did that come from? <laughs> Can you give us a bit of an insight? And I know it's, it's it, it, for, for Victorians that live here, they're probably well aware where the name came from. But for those overseas and interstate, give us a, give us a rundown on the name of the beer. Okay. So um, it's an American pale ale and uh, American style pale ale. We, when we started out, we, because we love the outdoors, we started naming our beers after local landmarks. Um, and one of our favourite ski areas is Mount Hotham, and right next to Mount Hotham is Mount Blowhard. So we thought it was quite an apt name for a, a uh, an American style parallel um, to call it Blowhard Parallel. Yeah, perfect. I love it. It's um, I can imagine a couple of our listeners in in places like the US that are. That, that you know probably can't get their hands on it, but are listening to the podcast when this goes up and uh, blow hard pale ale and have to try to figure out uh, what that's about, <laughs> which is great. So um, you could have given us any story there and uh, changed it around for them, and I'm sure it would have been loved. Um, give us a you know obviously we're all sort of coming out of the COVID world and that sort of thing. How's that affected your plans and uh, across the course of 2020? Is has it had a major impact? Uh, I think it's had an impact on just about everyone, hasn't it? So, you know, for us, what it's really meant is, you know, our our um, our venue has has for a long time been our uh, main source of revenue, and um, and also the, you know, the the area where we employ the most staff and and all of that type of thing. So, um, but you know, we're quite fortunate that we um, 
had already put in, in place a number of strategies to try and um, mitigate out the risk that the business is exposed to. And, you know, something that we've had to deal with for um, pretty much since we started um, is the threat of things like bushfires, yep. which, which basically shut down the tourism in our town. And they shut it down at a time of year, which is our peak tourism. So, um, so one of the long-term strategies that we've been working towards for quite some time is to set up a, a business that's more resilient to those types of um, impacts. So, you know, once we once we pretty much had the got the restaurant up and running, we we invested a lot of time and effort in working out how can we um, generate more of a manufacturer of beer that we can actually export to the to other to the capital cities and around the state so you know that that's when we um we realized that the brew pub itself was not large enough to be able to um develop the volumes that would make that profitable and a worthwhile exercise so uh that's when we set about building a dedicated production brewery um only it's about a kilometer from where the brew pub is yeah, um, nice. On, yep. in the industrial area of town. Um, but it's, it's a really, uh, you know, we've been able to um, pretty much build it from scratch, dedicated building and, um, and, uh, and you know, really efficient and effective um, uh, brew house, uh, which, which really does everything we need it to do. So, um, you know, that's, and, and I guess we're lucky in a way that we completed that a couple of years ago, everything's up and running. Um, we've got the people in place and, and you know, really um, we couldn't have been in a better, better position coming into this year to be able to leverage off that. Um, you know, we've got the right people in place, we've got the right equipment, um, you know, we've got, we've got Ev on the ground in Melbourne and um, but also running our whole um, sales team and uh, we've got excellent brewers, we've got a really uh, talented marketing team and all of those aspects are really important. When it comes to getting your beers into bottle shops and getting recognised, and also just having the runs on the board with a business that's been around for the last fifteen years now. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and are you guys, you're finding that um, you know, regional Victoria's obviously been out of the stage four lockdown for a while, a couple of weeks now. Are you finding the communities coming back out to support you guys? Are they? You know, is COVID keeping people away or as things are opening up? And I ask this question because I think it's a very key question for where Melbourne are at at the moment. Um, you know, are, are people coming out to the brewery? Are, are you seeing that, uh, that influx again of uh, people wanting to get out and drink beer? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, I think people are very keen to get out. What, <laughs> the, the, big, the big change that we're seeing is that I, I think um, everybody's much more aware of what social distancing means now than they were in the first, when, when things first relaxed. And so um, I, I think that, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more, people feel safer in, in being able to mingle in these types of environments because you know, they're wearing masks, we've got systems in place to keep things clean. Um, and while it doesn't necessarily eliminate the chance of an outbreak, it, it helps to minimise it as best as possible can. Yeah. So, you know, I think, um, we're, and you're right, we are sort of at the leading edge of that. You know, Melbourne hasn't had an opportunity yet to 
be able to put those things in place because none of the bars have actually been open yet, right? So that's it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I definitely think that once they are open, they'll, they'll latch onto it pretty quickly. You know, it's something that we we were able to adapt to quite quickly, and um, you know, it does make everyone comfortable and everyone's able to enjoy themselves. Um, you know, albeit in much more limited numbers, but um, you know, just people who can come and enjoy a beer and a meal here are really appreciating it. Good to hear. That's that's the perfect answer. And I think with with David sitting in the pub tonight, having opened up yesterday, and uh, yeah. and and people in Melbourne finally being able to get out. I mean, I I ventured to to a pub yesterday for lunch, and then I went and had a beer at another pub, and it, it was really good to see that that shift in and things. So hopefully Melbourne can sort of take the lead from regional Victoria and and uh, you know learn from what you guys have implemented in in those areas to to make sure we don't end up in a bad position again. I think on that note, we are going to move on to our next beer. We are going to uh, move on to the Bright Tower. Um, for those in the room tonight, I don't know what time Warren Wu came in because I completely missed it. Um, uh, but whoever got, whoever, whoever won that, that good, good on you. I, I think it's like- Crofty. Well, I thought it was more of a there joke. You go. So I, I do feel like potentially we need a prize for this, but we do. If it's at some stage, we should. Yeah, I think I think Craig Horner was the one who was going to give out the prizes. It wasn't me. That is, that is true. That is true. Um, obviously, as David mentioned earlier, next week we are we're going to take a week off and we're going to reevaluate and try to work things out with the pubs opening and everything. Um, so for those in the Zoom room tonight, is this will be. Uh, the last time for a week that you'll be able to get your questions in um, and ask away. So feel free to type those questions into the Zoom chat um, if you have any questions, of course. Um, We actually, speaking of which, we just had one of our listeners ask a question. Um, And I might ask that question, Warren, before we move on to you, who is going to lead the way on the the Bright Tower. Um, Zach wants to know, uh, how do you find distribution from regional Victor Melbourne? Uh, is the brand harder to spread and has COVID made a, a difference on that? So I'm, I'm probably best suited for that question, I guess. Um, we're talking uh, logistically. I like to make the joke that it's quicker to get beers from Queensland than it is to get them from Bright sometimes. Um, people don't like to come off the Hume Highway, apparently. Uh, but we're, we're pretty lucky. We, we, we managed to get our beers to Melbourne uh, relatively quickly. COVID's actually... I guess it's worked well for us in some sense. Um, we've had to, like every brewery, really adapt and, and change. And um, I think that's the challenge that we've met really well. And the benefit of sort of being uh, a, a, such a, a special place for a lot of people is I think that there was a bit of vicarious living through drinking our product um, in Melbourne through this lockdown. So, um, you know, we worked really hard over the past six months in particular to just to try and get the brand out um, as much as we could. And we were fortunate time-wise that we were capable, as Scott mentioned earlier, just sort of having the product ready um, and have, having those procedures in place and, and just the ability to brew the product. Um, but yeah, I think there's been a little bit of vicarious living and um, I know myself personally, I've actually been doing a bit of home delivery um, for the, the brewery for the past six months. A little bit, a little bit more than a bit. Um, but I reckon 90% of the people that I uh, have dropped beer to have all said to me either we can't wait to get back there or we've had a holiday, holiday booked there three times this year and it's got cancelled. So, uh, yeah. 
you know, I think a lot of people that would have loved to have been here saw it as an opportunity. You just get a little slice of uh, of the pie that is bright, you know, through the beers. That's been great. That's awesome. Um, obviously, if you live in the area, how do you find the travelling at the at this time, like going to and from Melbourne? Uh, so I'm actually fortunately Melbourne based. Oh, uh, cool. Um, so. That's, uh, I mean, it's been probably more trouble moving around Melbourne than anything else. Uh, yes, yep. <laughs> but uh, we, it hasn't been too bad. Uh, luckily, we've got a big crew here. Uh, and uh, we've been able to get from really easy. Um, it's a three-hour trip into Melbourne. But luckily, it's basically just one road once you turn off um, one other road. So um, it hasn't been too hard to, to sort of get stuff through. Yeah, good, good to hear. Uh, guys, uh, for all the listeners in the Zoom room and the listeners on the podcast, uh, we are going to move on to the bright sour now. So uh, hopefully we've all cracked one open. I can see David there who's just gone to get his. Um, I like how you hold him up to the camera, Ev. That's, my, that's awesome. We need more of that. Uh, Warren is going to take the lead on this beer. So hopefully he's also got his bright sour ready to go. Um, over to you, Warren. Could you imagine imagine sitting by the river uh, at the Bright Brewery, think, speaking of living vicariously, smashing a, a bright sour on a nice sunny day? Like it was a great day in Melbourne, particularly this morning. But yeah, so sitting in Bright, you know, the sound of kids running around, sitting in front of the brewery, it'd be perfect. Um, nice little sour. Is this is this going to join your core range kind of just as a... As a yeah. thing, is this going to be a regular brew? I can't remember it being part of your core range, and that might be just me being ignorant. But yeah, is this a is this a product you guys are going to kick on with? Yep, for sure. You know, that's been part of our plan for a little while now. Um, you know, we started doing uh, really getting into some of these kettle sours just last year, um, and you know, we really wanted something that's uh, very drinkable, pretty fresh, um, uh, mid strength. So you know. It's, it's not going to hit you too hard. Um, but, you know, I, I personally, I find this type of beer super refreshing, um, especially after a big ride or, you know, river paddle or something like that. But, you know, I just, I just find it really easy to drink. Um, and, and it also appeals to a much broader audience as well, um, or a different audience to beers, um, to, to pale ales and, and so on. So, um, I'm pretty keen to um, to push this. You know, we, we've uh, it is going. The cans are going to be um, part of our standard lineup. We've committed to that for the next few years. So um, you will continue to see it around for quite a while. As as the sour as sours and kind of getting those sours in being part of the process of getting your dedicated brewery, would they would it be a lot harder to do with your with the brew pub set up? Uh, not, not necessarily. Um, you know, in fact, uh, in fact, we just did a sour brew here on on this um, on this brew pub uh, set up Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah, it was. So. Um, and um, we've been experimenting a little bit around how we do it on on that. So we use this brew house to to run that little trial for us. Um, it's a, it's only about a third of the size of the other brewery, so it makes a lot more sense when we're doing trials to do them on this one. Um, just very quickly, it's really lovely to hear that you have got got a, a trial brew. Like we we often, or well, I often ask about tri- being able to do trial brews. It's kind of cool that 
you guys have got a bigger thing to do. And then your trial brewery is the original, the original one. That's, yeah. It's, it's, if anything, it's a little too big still though, but trial brews, you know, there's, um, it's a 12 hectolitre brew house. So yeah, that still gives us 24 kegs to get through. It's no good. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't happen often. Um, in terms of maybe not not so much regarding sours but in terms of your range how much has COVID changed what you guys do is uh, in terms of the the direction you were going in and how much a brew pub kind of had a had a say in that I think um nothing drastic that we probably weren't already looking at so um if anything it probably sped up a few things we were like pretty much every, I guess, established craft brewery in Australia, we were a keg and bottle brewery. Um, and I think it was November of last year that we um, we did our first sort of test run of canned product. Um, and there was always the plan to, to move forward with, with cans. And then as COVID hit and production obviously moved away from kegs, which um, predominantly from a wholesale perspective is what we were doing. We made the transition to cans and we sort of really um, dug our feet in and decided that's it, like we're, we're going to move to be a lot more um, involved with sort of the can space. And that's evolved now to uh, to more beers joining that. Um, we've done a little bit of a, we probably sped up a, a little bit of a cleanup in terms of what beers we wanted to produce. So um, the core range is, we've added a few things that we might've waited a few months or maybe a year or so. Um, you know, COVID has sort of been the steroid to the brewery in some ways. It's, it's given us a, a, a jolt about 12 months ahead of maybe where we were gonna go. Um, which has been great in terms of, you know, silver linings. I think it's, um, it's pushed us to just be a little bit faster with these things. Um, I don't think there's been any drastic change in the beers that we brew. I mean, we're, we're probably a little bit more experimental. I know you've all got nine beers in your pack and there's a few different mm-hmm. styles in there. Um, but that was already sort of on the horizon anyway. I think mm-hmm. if anything, it's just been showcased more the last few months as people have um, been drinking more at home and starting to realize that we were making these beers. So. Any, and this is purely a, a, a kind of pie in the sky type question. Is there any room to drink at the dedicated? I know it's called a dedicated brewery because it's a dedicated brewery, but is there room to drink? I know, like, so I'm a sh- I, I just just for the people who who don't know Bright, I'm assuming you're near the it's the old six, near Sixpence that industrial area. Is that where your brew? Yeah, opposite there yeah ah yeah yeah, yeah. um and and the, the beginning you could have asked that question when we were talking about you know exactly where bright is and where they are in bright <laughs> i could i could have yeah that's yeah but it's so much more fun when i come in late and and we we tread that ground again i'm like i'm like a i'm like a six-year-old i i you know how a six-year-old you could put them in front of the same episode of uh bluey like 15 times and they'll watch it with the the same amazement as they did the first Uh, i'm exactly like that like download podcasts skip over the first 10 minutes or so yeah they must really appreciate the fact that you sort of take it back to the beginning yeah yeah, they must love that yeah um So now people know where it is and uh, like, and, and the good people at Sixpence and that Thai restaurant, which is quite good and bright. <laughs> yes, but it's nowhere near there. <laughs> no, it's nowhere near there. Nothing. As a matter of fact, yeah, it's not. That's Ring the bell, different part of the world. All right, come on. We're getting this back on track. <laughs> Having said that, the Thai restaurant in Bright is probably one of the best Thai restaurants I've ever eaten at. So, all right, back, to, back into it. Go. Yeah, go. All right, sweet. 
Um, what are the plans for the the brew pub? So, are you are you guys have you got the capacity to expand? Is there is there is there any way like are there changes in store for the brew pub itself? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we've obviously had to make some pretty big changes with COVID um, mm. and separate out some areas. We've actually this this area that we're in here, um, we have used a few times as one of our extra spaces. Um, for indoors, because with the with the rules, you're only allowed to have ten people in each area. So we're trying to um, take over various as many part areas of the brewery as we can and and utilise that to the maximum. Um, uh, and but then we also have uh, you know uh, 2016 we purchased the land next to the brewery and um, we started using that uh, just as an outdoor area with um, tables and umbrellas, that type of thing. So we do have some longer term plans uh, to expand the restaurant, um, but also that outdoor seating area. Um, but at the moment, our focus is really on wholesale and uh, you know making the business more robust to um, events that impact our tourism. It's, it's probably that that wholesale side and kind of you guys being an ambassador to bright how much does that pay a part like you, you spoke about um about kind of living vicariously through the beer some some of the people in melbourne living vicariously through the beers but the ideas and the the kind of the ethos of bright how much is do you play on that and how much does that work in with how what you guys try to do yeah look i, I think that's definitely uh something that we're aware of you know we we try and convey uh, an image or a feeling of the outdoors with with a lot of the beers that we produce. You know that is a big part of our branding and what we what we want to try and achieve. So, to you know, we we do feel that if we can get our beers out there on supermarket shelves, first of all, it's just a little reminder to anyone who has been through the town. Um, you know, and it, you never know. It, it, it's like a little just gentle reminders that Bright's there and, you know, hopefully it gets the conversation going and people will buy those beers and take it around to a friend's place and tell them about the awesome time that they had when they were in Bright last time, right? And and then that might help to drive more visitation. So, you know, it, we are all about um, driving visitation to the town. Um, you know, we feel that when the town succeeds, we succeed. Um, you know, so we want to see a thriving tourism town um, bright and and you know we want to make sure we're playing our part in it um just sliding back into the beer uh the so mid-strength sour ale we, we we've seen a lot of sour owls in our 22 episodes a lot of them have been that five and a half six percent uh was what sort of decision was it to make this your mid strength three and a half? I mean, a lot traditionally it's been that way, but yeah. was was it a conscious decision? Was it where where did it? Where, where, how much was marketing? How much was style? How much was was your own kind of your own thoughts and? Yeah, so we really wanted this to be very much a sessional beer, sessionable beer, um, very easy drinking, um, and the thing. So with with regular beers, a lot of the alcohol adds a lot to the body of the beer. And, and 
kind of needed a little bit to help the beer hold together. Um, with sours, it's kind of a little bit different. Like the, the alcohol plays a different role. Um, and the, the acidity of the beer overrides a lot of the benefit that you get out of a higher alcohol beer. So yep. you can make it higher alcohol and you actually don't notice the difference, right? And so you kind of like, from, yep. if you want to create a sessional beer, you're kind of wasting your time or you're wasting your alcohol basically. <laughs> um, so, you know, like we, we make a, a, most of our other sours are four and a half percent, yeah. right? And you seriously cannot tell the difference between a three and a half and a four and a half percent sour. And I think um, for Bright Sour in particular, it, it sort of goes back to the area that we're in um, because it's a hot day and someone's gone for a run or they've gone for a ride or but even if it's, you've been snowboarding all day, or you've been in the mountains and you just, you're tired. Yeah. Uh, you don't want a seven and a half every time. I know for me that a pint of MIA, oh, sorry, a pint of um, Bright Sour, it's a bloody treat when it's hot or if I'm tired or if yeah. I've had any sort of activity. Um, it really plays well into what we do here and um, sort of what we represent as a brewery as well. What I call a Sunday afternoon beer because you can, you know, you can have a couple and still be okay when you wake up to work on a Monday. You know, it's you know a very different sort of thing to a eleven o'clock on a Friday night kind of beer. <laughs> yeah, but it's probably and worth saying as well, isn't it, that you know you, you're not trying to deprive people of of alcohol when you're making a three point five percent. But if you if you can do that and make as this is an excellently drinkable yeah. beer. You pay less excise, and you know, for every percent, you know, of extra excise, I don't know what the numbers are at the moment. You, you guys, I'm sure do, but it's a, it's a, it's a serious consideration, isn't it? Yeah, that 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 actually makes quite a big difference with this beer because um, you know, once you're down around, once you're in the threes, then the excise rates come down substantially. So it does definitely help with the with the costing on this on this beer, and makes it much more affordable and. Um, and drinkable so it's not to say that we won't do um some high strength sours but i think we're more likely to do those in um uh you know in a different style more mm. more likely to do say barrel um barrel sours mm. um that are high strength we've got a couple of um we've got a couple of sort of project sours i guess we label them as um that are uh head brewer reed has um has sort of flagged that'll that'll be over you know your sort of standard six percent um but we want them to sort of stand out for different reasons so um with bright sour this is meant to be an everyday sour yeah. um whereas with those ones you know it'll be more of a special occasion and um, we're in a beer podcast now so i'm sure plenty of you have, dr have drank some pretty um decent imperial sours in your time you know mm. exactly a beer you drink six of um if you do good work <laughs> there's probably a few people in the zoom room that could do six of them but uh oh, there's one hand up already so <laughs> there's plenty of the zoom room who have tried to do something like that whilst on on in the zoom room so there's there's i was just going to say warren there's plenty in the zoom room that are probably going to do that later on tonight yeah that's very true um <clears throat> it's it's a terrific range of beers that we've we've kind of had had made available to us it's uh, and and admittedly it's been a little while since i've explored the bright brewery range but there's some really fascinating really diverse interesting beers here uh, it, which which do you guys have you guys got an inside running on who's who's going to be the market leader like what styles go be the one that that you think will be be really big for you guys in the future have you got a particular one that you're 
I, I think we'll both have different answers on this. Mm. Yeah, uh, this is great. Perfect. Excellent. Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling that um, I know what my pet project or my favourite beer in the range is, and I know what I think I know what Scott's is. I'll let him go first. Oh, you go first. I. <laughs> no, no. I reckon Scott go first. Hold on. No, I reckon Scott <laughs> go first because I want because invariably the sales dude kind of gets their way a lot of the time because <laughs> yeah. if they've got a favorite then then it then it moves like it, it just naturally like yeah but scott Look, i I, th- I think the the reason we have a a broad range of beers is to really give people those options right but um i think we i i feel like we're going to see a fairly large move to the sours mm. okay i think you know one of the reasons we put so much effort into this bright sour is because there's there's not a lot of competition in the market for that at the moment you know to be honest we've we've basically pushed it against the colonial sour and we we spent um we spent a whole day doing taste tests of (laughs) like as many that would have been terrible that would have really been a crap day (laughs) it was a mouth puckering day But we, 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 we went through it, we, you know, we looked at the attributes of each one and we basically designed this beer um, from those results. Mm. And, you know, I, I think that we've got something that's super drinkable. Um, the, the, the reason I think that sours will actually um, encapsulate quite a large market share is that it's, it's one of the only beers that appeals to um, people who are normally non-beer drinkers, mm. if you like, right? So... I think it can definitely appear, appeal to beer drinkers because it is a beer and it's just got a sour character. So as long as it's as long as that beer drinker is happy to accept the sour flavour, they'll drink it. But my feeling is it's the sort of beer that somebody who drinks, um, say, a Riesling or a Sauvignon, mm-hmm. and says I don't drink beer because I don't like the flavour of it, they would drink something like this. Like it's actually got a very, I think it's got a similar sort of acidity to. Yep those sorts of wines and so that makes it much more approachable and much more you know um appeal appealing to a much broader audience uh, i really want to know what ev has to say on this one because uh, yeah say something completely different yeah, yeah, yeah please yeah please that was a yeah, really good answer well i'll, I'll backtrack a little bit i actually i tend to agree in terms of um and what scott said there so i think we're definitely moving to um, a, diff- a more sessionable style of drinking. Um, yeah. I think that's been reflected in a lot of the craft beer industry at the moment. Anyone that's sort of been involved through the past decade would, would have seen, you know, the boom of the the big imperial beers. Um, you know, at least seven percent upwards was very much on trend. And as time's gone on and, and the quality's got better, I think that's meant that breweries have been able to make better, lower alcohol beers. Um, and I think in terms of sort of um, a broader market. This beer in itself is um, is probably the one best suited for growth, and I think mid strength and even sours, as Scott sort of nailed it there, it does have the largest appeal to consumers that don't want to drink beer. It's something that I know for myself that I've given friends or family members that aren't beer drinkers, and they'll jump on it. Um, in terms of favourite beers, the only reason I made that joke is because the next beer we're going to drink is literally my favorite beer in the world. So although it's probably um, it's probably not the most, uh, you know, market-driven beer in terms of um, where it's going to go, and not in comparison to Bright Sour, it's just my personal favorite. So <laughs> I'm always going to talk it up. 
Evan, do you find you've got to explain to publicans and bottle shop owners and stuff about why the mid-strength, you know, sour works, or do they do they get it? I mean, I, I guess it's always just interesting to know as a rep, you know, how do people who sh who shouldn't be able to see what you're talking about, do they all get it, or does some need a bit bit of convincing? I think it's um, it's the ever-changing nature of craft beer that it to be in a market leader in this style, which um, we're not the first and we're not claiming to be, but we are, I think, an early adopter in terms of bringing a, um, a mid-strength sour beer or just a sour beer as a core range. Obviously, there's other breweries out there and um, we don't take it from the out. The more that do it, the easier it's going to get. It has gotten um, more simple since we launched this beer. I think we launched it in, I want to say January, because um, it came out when the Herald Sun tour was on. Yeah. yeah. Um, nice. So um, I, I still remember the day I first had it. Um, so it has got it has got easier. I also think that um, there's a bit more of a demand now in terms of um, everyday hunters that aren't necessarily what you'd call sort of craft drinkers that are coming into um, drinking better beer. So it's that sort of knock-on effect of expecting a bit of a better product. So they're opening their eyes to something outside of your, your VBs, Carlton's, your Coronas, whatever it might be. Um, and a beer like this is getting easier to sell as more consumers are being willing to try names they don't know. But then the pub, the publicans or even the bottle shop owners themselves are feeling more comfortable taking on a product that might not necessarily have a market yet. Yeah. Um, so, so these yeah. things take years yeah. to come about, to, to gain broad acceptance, right? But if you can get your product in there early at the start, then it oh. helps, to, you know, like there's an opportunity for us here. And, I, and I'm not saying this beer is going to move high volumes in the, in the short term, but I do believe that if we can establish it as one of the key sours in the market, yeah. then I think, you know, we'll find that it actually generates. And, and we've got a plan for this. We, um, we know that this is going to be something that we're going to work towards and, um, you know, it's not pale ale. We don't, pale ale, you don't have to sell. People understand it straight away. So we were in the front foot sort of explaining that to people letting everyone know. Um, sorry, I was just laughing at Crofty because he was just trying to get a free beer out of me. Crofty, free beer, no. But it's interesting because you do need, like I find that as well, you know, the number of times it's exactly what you're saying that, you know, when people come in, uh, who are wine drinkers, often you know, the partners of a beer drinker or something like that. It's that bit of where you, you've got to educate them as a barman or a publican you know, as to, no, no, trust me, you know, it's that whole sort of, I'll open it, you know, some, if you don't like it, don't worry, I'll find someone else in the room who'll drink it kind of thing. Oh, no, no, actually, that's, that's my kind of thing. Um, but the, as with all labels, there's often a decision... Like there's always chatter and talk and you've always got to talk to everyone. But the the thought behind <clears throat> putting mid-strength on the label, like actually labeling it as a mid-strength, was that something that you guys consciously kind of had? Was there a debate about it? Like, yeah, as... I don't, I don't know. Well, I, I think we might have... It, it's definitely... So there is definitely a trend to less alcohol consumption, mm. Okay. And so I think it's important, and especially with a beer like this, it's important to be clear that about what it has. You know, people want to know whether they're going to need to wash their drinks or not worry about it, or maybe just be slightly aware of it, right? So I think um, I think that's important with this. And it is, and we do want it to be a session warmer. You know, we, we want you to be able to go out for a mountain bike ride, 
you know, throw back a few of them and still be able to ride. Okay. Yep. So that's that's kind of the whole idea with it. It's important that people realise that it's midstream. Yeah. From a marketing aspect, I think um, uh, the other thing we did was, and this is a mistake I I I think see a lot of breweries make is. They'll just say mid-strength ale and they won't explain what it is or any flavour on it. So what we tried to do with the actual can um, was it says it's a sour beer because you probably want people to know that before they drink it. Um, otherwise, they're going to be shocked. Uh, but we've also tried to put that sort of flavour profile on the can. Um, so you know what you're coming in for, not just in terms of the alcohol content, but the flavour profile too, which is such a massive selling point of the beer itself. We've had our little break for people who are in the Zoom room with us, and now we're ready to kick on and talk about the MIA IPA. It wasn't the first question on the um, on the question sheet that we sent through, but um, Evan, you've you've come out and said this is your absolute favourite. So sort of, why don't we just ask outright? Why is this one your favourite? Tell, tell us what this one means to you. Uh, well, first off, it's just the best beer in the world, um, so that that helps. Um, now, I actually this is. This might be one of the first West Coast IPAs I think I ever drank. So um, before I actually started the brewery, I, like many, uh, did the, the trip through town um, to go to one of the snowfields. Um, and as an avid beer consumer, I saw a brewery and did what everyone would do and dived straight, hit, straight in. And um, I think MIA may have just been kegged at that stage. I've got to look at the dates. But um, it was one of the first times I had a proper West Coast IPA on tap. And I remember drinking it and just thinking to myself, this is amazing. And um, it was a couple of years later that when I um, was fortunate enough to join the brewery, the beer uh, was a seasonal for us. So it would come, I think, every March, April, around about then. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'd started and MIA had come out and I drank it and I was just like, this is, this is the best beer. We need to be doing this all the time. And then I think I just spent six months annoying anyone who would listen to me that this shouldn't be a seasonal. We should just be making this all the time. And... Um, quietly made a pact with our brewer who felt a, a similar way <laughs> that we would just keep producing it and hope that no one noticed that it was never out of stock. So <laughs> it worked. It, it did work. It is, it's, it's now officially a core range of beer. So, yeah. The, um, I guess you know, we, West Coast IPAs, is that sort of a lot of experienced drinkers listen to the podcast, but there's also some newer ones as well. It's one of those terms that might mean slightly different things to different people. So for you guys, when you think about what a West Coast IPA is, what is it that differentiates it from an IPA? Do you want to take that one or do you want to go? I can take that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like what is it about this beer that you go, oh, right, this is different to the blowhard that we were drinking a bit earlier? Yeah, so I think... Um, so a few things that sort of stand out for me and uh, West Coast IPA, personally, I think it's, it's kind of lost uh, a little bit of its uh, niche over the last few years. As, as beer does, we, we do have a lot of autonomy in terms of claiming and, and naming things as we see them. Um, but for me, our West Coast IPA is, it's heavily hopped. It's quite piney. It's quite resinous. It's got that grassy sort of note. It's really true to the style that it originated from. Um, you know, it's got a bit more, it's got more bitterness, it's got more alcohol, but it's, in it itself, it just has a lot more hop flavour than I guess a pale does. Um, and that's the difference in the hop regime as well. I mean, our blowhard has hop flavour to it, but it's meant to be suitable for everyone where IPA is that, that next step up for that discerning consumer. So 
when I'm drinking a West Coast IPA, that's what I'm looking for. I, I want to taste hops, but I want them to be true to the region that they come from, I guess. Um, and for me, that's what MIA really stands for. I, I find it's, that's what we've nailed in this beer is it's true to what it's meant to be. It's, it's a classic West Coast style. Obviously, it's a bright West Coast IPA. They're not all going to taste the same, but I think what we've done is we've nailed what it's meant to be. So, so what hops are we experiencing in, in this one? So both, both Scott and I went to our books and made sure we knew this. Um, so uh, Simcoe? I it can, it'd be much easier. I, I wrote it on a, a little document I've just got here, actually. So uh, I've got Simcoe, Cascade, Citra and Mosaic, um, which for anyone that really follows beer or um, sort of the history of beer is pretty much the classic West Coast combination in a lot of ways. So Nice. And is that sort of, you know, do you ever play with the different hops in that in this beer at all? Or is it, has this one stayed the same since the original sort of batch go through? Uh, it's actually changed quite a lot. Yeah. So, um, so it was first brewed by John Selton, who's now um, Quick Lane. Um, quick Lane, yep. Um, he, he actually started his brewing career with us. Um, quite a talented um, home brewer, really, when he, when he came to us, but really showed his colours and talent in um, putting together really interesting beers. Um, and I, I actually had a look through the records on this. So, uh, so back in 2012, we first brewed it and it actually had Citra, Galaxy and Pride of Ringwood. Yeah, right. Oh, wow, good. So, I mean, Citra, Citra many West Coast and Pride of Ringwood were there. <laughs> nope. nope, not at all. So, but that goes to show you how much has changed, right? So, yeah. But, it, but even back then, it was hugely popular. Um, and I think it was just the, it was probably the Citra coming through. But also Galaxy does um, really bring forward an um, interesting take on some of those flavours. Guys, in the Zoom room tonight, remember you can also ask your questions in the chat. If you've got any questions, feel free to uh, put those in there and we'll, uh, we'll ask them away. And in particular, Corey was pointing out that he'd like the... Um, Black Diamond series to be brought back as core range. So, you know, Corey, I've now said that out loud. So, you know, that's that's the beauty of, you know, is that going to happen, guys? We do hear that actually more than we, I, I probably... It's a winter beer. It's a winter beer. Skiers beer. Yeah. Skiers beer, you know, unless you can ski year round. Yeah. Can't really just... It's, it's got a weird place. Like, Black IPA is such a weird style, I think, in the craft beer echelon. Um, but we... we I reckon they hear at least once a week someone ask about Black Diamond, which is um, it's a pretty good statement for me, to be honest with you. So, Black IPAs are well and truly one of my favourite things in the world. Um, Crofty, who's also in the call room, has asked, uh, in the Zoom room, I should say, a great question. He says that when he was up at the brewery once, he asked about what was in one of the beers and they could print it off on the receipt on the till. <laughs> you, you mean like this? That's our cheat sheet. <laughs> oh. I, was, I was actually wondering if you guys had a cheat sheet there. That's brilliant. That is, that that is, is the best thing ever. 900 IQ hospitality right there. That is <laughs> just... That's brilliant. It is really good. That's, uh, yeah. It, you know... How did that come about? I'm really interested in, in Crofty's question and how this happened. What made you guys decide that this was a thing that you were going to do? Oh, well, our, our point of sale could do it. So we thought, and, and, and you know, we, we, get so many, we get so many new staff that come through that really, mm. you know, there's, for them to really understand, I mean, 
even I don't know what hops are in a lot of the beers, right? So um, yeah. if we don't know, how do we expect our bar staff to know that sort of stuff? So if, if we can have that information at people's fingertips, um, you know, it just makes, makes everything a lot easier. You know, if we do get somebody through, you know, and you've got to remember too, 99% of our customers are not interested in what hops are in the beer. Mm. Um, and then Crofty walks in. Exactly. <laughs> and Crofty walks in. He wants to know what hops is in what and what malts and what's the IBU and blah blah blah. And the bar staff just go, "Well, here you go." <laughs> so, so it's not an indictment on twenty somethings at Br- in Bright. Well, yeah. look, I, I would love to have all of our staff Cicerone trained, and we do do Cicerone training with with the staff, um, but we can't do it all the time, right? We, we, we try and do it annually. Um, well, I don't know that we'll manage it this year, but yeah. it, what it means though is that because we're a seasonal business and we have times of the year where it's busy and when it's quiet, we're always employing new people at this time of year. So yeah. you know, it's, it's almost impossible for us to always have um, uh, staff who, are, who know the products inside out. Um, so this is one way that we can um, still provide that information, but without having to um, have have all of that training done for anyone who's standing behind the bar. Mark from Seaford asks, you know, is it hard to get staff and chefs and others up in Bright, or is or is that has time sort of changed a bit and a bit easier now than it might have been ten years ago? Do you know a chef? I think we yeah, need a couple we, up here. We need a chef. We're looking <laughs> for a chef. <laughs> but uh, look. It, it is hard um, in, a, in a regional town to, to find staff. Um, you know, we've, we've been pretty lucky with bar staff this year because, uh, you know, obviously the ski resorts have been closed for most of the season. So I think there's been quite a few people that, have, that are very, very keen to find work for that. But um, chefs are always difficult. Um, so, you know, anyone who wants to join our fantastic kitchen team, <laughs> No. No, 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 you can you can whack an email in there. It won't be hard to track the guys down. I'm I'm sure. Can we, can we talk a little bit about the can art and stuff, which is one of the sort of little pet subjects that we love to have a yarn about uh, on a Thursday night. Um, you're talking about sort of you know always trying to get a bit of a local feel. So you know, for anyone who's got the can in front of them, there's a we can see the mountains and we can see a bloke parachuting in, he looks a bit like Tim Holding. Does that uh, reference to Tim going missing in action uh, up in the mountains or? It's actually, this is my favorite story for the brewery too. And I, I, I wasn't here for this, so I probably shouldn't tell no, it. You tell. I, I think I, I embellished this story. Exactly. That's yeah, my like story. We like an embellished story. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so Scott mentioned earlier, uh, John Selton, who was uh, the initial brewer of the beer. So the story that I know and uh, I'm just going to claim this fact, um, is that uh, John obviously had sort of decided to brew this beer and wanted to make a West Coast IPA. Um, the day had sort of come uh, for kegging of the beer and um, what was probably pretty typical, I guess, of, of, of craft beer, probably bright at the time, was beers weren't named um, as they were brewed. They sort of got named as they came out. So the day they were kegging, um, John does what every good bright uh, person does and they decide to go off in their lunch break and do some sort of extreme sport and um, is it paragliding? Is that what he? Uh, hmm. paragliding. paragliding. So he decides, paragliding. decides to go paragliding on his lunch break as you do and I'm sure everyone in Melbourne does the same thing. Yeah, all, yeah, all the time. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and uh, as legend has it, or as my legend has it, uh, he was blown away in a gust of wind. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he disappeared. And he was due is back. Is he a light man? Is he lightly built? Like, is he, is, is, how big a gust are we talking? <laughs> He's light now, but I don't think he was light then. I think he, I think he might have been, yeah. I haven't seen him lately. He's he's he's, he's looking pretty good, um, but uh, but so he gets blown away, and then uh, it's time for pegging, and uh, John's nowhere to be found, and uh, yep. Then as I uh, retell it, uh, every emergency service in the country was was called to try and find John, and uh, as uh, as they sort of corralled around the brewery to to go looking for him, he came hiking down Main Street, parachute in hand, um, as he'd been blown away in a storm, so. Uh, he was missing in action for the the kegging of the beer, and that's where the name came from. That is the that is the best story, I think. That's so <laughs> good. It, just, uh, t- t- it turns out he he had to crash land on Mount Feathertop. <laughs> Again, these are the sort of stories that you know, if you're from particularly Victoria, but probably Australia, you can you can sort of believe that. But for some of our overseas listeners. You know, if you're listening from Germany and you like things to be very precise and normal, I can just just imagine people over there shuddering with, you know, what do you mean he went away during the... <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking that, like, for people that know the bright area, that, that story is 100% feasible. Like, oh, it's yeah. Just, yeah. It's... Most of us are like that. <laughs> not myself. I'm not, I'm not airborne. He's but... a normal one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think in the south of France... Like you get, I I reckon at their lunch breaks, they they can take their pick between going for a surf or going for a ski. So I reckon they, our listeners, all our listeners from the south of France, are probably <laughs> nodding their heads, going, "Oh yeah, yeah, we, oh croissant." Um, the the other Travis in the room asked a question. Uh, do you guys change the hops in MIA based on their availability? Um, and this could be an interesting discussion point because you know you guys have a lot of hops up your way. So yeah. how does that sort of shift things? Uh, we haven't really had to worry about that uh, to date um, with the volumes that we're producing, so it hasn't really been an issue. Um, but you know, it's certainly something that we'd look at if we can maintain the flavour profile. Then we can change the hops. Yeah, nice. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit about the can art there, and I guess, you know, Evan in particular, I'm sort of interested about what your experience in, you know, selling the beers is, and I'm looking at a, a lineup of them there, and some of them, like the Sour, are very clearly bright, with the logo very clear on it. I've also got, for instance, the Spring Fling next to me, uh, the beautiful beer, but if I was standing on the other side of a bar, I reckon I'd probably struggle to figure out that was a, a bright beer. Um, What's sort of the ethos that goes behind the can designs and how much is that done by just someone externally? How much does the brewery have to do with it and how much do you sort of feed into that process? So um, I believe our marketing manager might be sitting in this call, so I'll be, inter- I'll be interested to see what I say and what she says back to me. <laughs> um, uh, she may have left the building. She may have. Uh, as time's gone on, it's you actually... Say whatever you like, mate. We're, we're quite involved. So there's a few things, I guess, in terms of the range, the transition to cans has, has made uh, some changes in how we um, sort of present the product. There are, being a bottle brewery prior, um, you actually have a lot more scope with what you can do for a printed label than what you can do at a can. So there's only certain 
um, elements you can, uh, amount of colors you can print on cans. So it has sort of forced that hand in some ways. Um, but in that, uh, some things are just, as we go, are translating differently over can to bottle. So um, we're in the process now of tying things together a bit more. Um, Springfling's a really good example. So Springfling, it's actually a label that I really love. Um, I think it's one of our nice, most nicely designed ones. But that was a bottle product originally. And the bottle product actually had a, a bit of a, a cut and die line, which was uh, the mountainscape of, of the bright or the high country area. So on the bottle, it's very clearly a bright product because it had our label. And yeah, right. moved to cans, it doesn't translate the same way. So um, as we go, we're, we're slowly sort of changing these things and fixing them up and trying to have a bit more brand cohesion. Um, but it's the, it's the ever-changing nature of what we do is... Um, you don't realize some things until they happen. Um, but in terms of our branding, I think uh, anyone who's sort of followed the Bright brand over the past five years will see some some big shifts in the past two years in particular as well in terms of how we present ourselves and what we do and, and the spectrum we have. And um, We now have an array of designers, um, but they work on products um, that are on the beers that we define them for as well. So um, we try and pick a one of our designers based on what we think uh, the beer should have as well. So there's a bit of brand cohesion there, but we also try to work it to uh, the correct the correct designer who, who we think will work best on that set product. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, th I think part of the philosophy that we developed probably five or six years ago is um, with, with our core range, we wanted that to be obviously quite brewery beers um, because we felt they're the beers we got all the time. Um, you know, it's be really obvious that that brewery is that that beer is a bright brewery beer. So the approach we took is with core range and the the regular, or I guess mostly the core range. Um, we wanted that to be say eighty percent bright brewery branded, and then twenty percent beer style branded, right? Yep. Um, whereas with beers like MIA, we we're happy that, that was sort of the other way around. Eighty percent about MIA, 20% of the branding's right brewery. So that's sort of the, that's that's where we come at from it. But we are, as Ev said, we're still finding our way. We're trying to work out what works, what fits with it, you know, what we do. We, we do want people to realise that it's a bright brewery beer. You know, I think that, that holds its own, yeah. but um, it also links back to us and that's an important part of it. But yeah, I guess, you know, with some of these, it's not so much about selling the town, it's about selling the product mm. on its own. The, um, the transition from bottle to can has obviously changed somewhat of what we do. And, and that's what I said about the, the cut line as well. So what we used to sort of be actually changed. Um, what I think you'll see even early next year is just a complete sort of brand cohesion. Um, I know that I work really directly with our, our marketing manager, Laura, um, as well as our designers and um, nothing sort of slapped together. It's... <laughs> I, I feel bad for our designer some days because we come back with the, the slightest tweaks now because we really do care and I, th I think we're in a nice space now that we can really define our products by the marketing we give them. And, um, talk about comments that people overseas in the south of France or Germany or wherever won't understand. I love the wagon wheel uh, <laughs> artwork and stuff like that, um, which is named after an Australian biscuit. Lolly, cookie, whatever, I don't know exactly how you design it, but that just looks fantastic and just, you know, brings those elements in a way that I'm sure isn't uh, able to be, you know, litigious, you know, in, uh, <laughs> it seems it looks almost exactly the same without being exactly the same. 
it's um yeah it's it's an homage an ode it's uh, <laughs> not a cease and desist <laughs> we've got a couple of other questions from people in the zoom room and i, I will say that uh, we're about to move on to the mystery beer in a couple of minutes and we certainly want some audience participation in that one so uh get ready for that zoom room but um Mark from Seaford's asked another really interesting question about your relationship with other breweries, you know, particularly sort of in, you know, country. He's asked about Beachworth specifically, but, you know, I guess in the city we get used to working with the other pubs on Spencer Street and if you need a new keg coupler or something, you can just sort of wander down the road and, you know, between us all, we can deal with that. But, you know, is it, are there other sort of places that you have that sort of sense of camaraderie with up there? Absolutely. I, you know, I, I think that's one of the great things about the craft brewing industry and something that we noticed as soon as we got into it, even when there was only a handful of breweries uh, in, in the country, you know, that the camaraderie and the willingness to, you know, um, Dave and Cam from Mountain Goat were one of the first to, to you know, super helpful with um, helping us get set up and, and um things that we needed to know to help make that happen so you know that 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 was really uh motivating and and um uh you know made us feel really good about getting into this industry too um but you know we we uh can't remember quite when we started but for quite a long time now we've been working with the other breweries in the area on the as a high country brewery trail um consortium if you like so uh, you know, we do collaborative marketing and um, uh, packs, packs yeah. with them, and it's been that that actually has been really good during um, during the COVID time. We did a, uh, just what a month ago we did the High Country Brewery Trail Pack, mm -hmm. um, and I it's think more than track those down. I'll do Laura's job for her. How, how do they track down things like that? that? Is it your website, or is there somewhere else that people need to go? Well, those have already been sold out, so. <laughs> Um, so Laura already did her job, despite despite David sniping at her. So two two hundred and eighty <laughs> um, cases of beer from the local breweries, and, and you know some of these breweries are pretty tiny operations, uh, and for them to come up with, um, you know, I think it was yeah, some of them. Uh, one in particular um, had said to us, and it was the second time around we did a similar project in the first lockdown. But um, I've now uh, we've now heard from two actually separate breweries that these packs have been the biggest orders they've had all year um wow. ever. ever yeah sorry ever yeah so um for us i think that's when we were putting together the idea we could have easily sort of gone ahead and done it ourselves and um i mean it was our work and then our website which everything comes from but we really wanted to promote the high country and and this isn't uh so no, isn't a one-player team this is everyone in it together yeah. um especially and, during this and you know like people are the, the consumer is looking for variety, right? And so it, if you can show them that there's lots of things to do when they come up here, then they're more likely to come or they're going to come more often. So, you know, it, it works for everybody to um, help promote other businesses in your area. You know, we've got some great brews up here that yeah. um, it's really easy to do that with too. I should note as well, while we're talking collaborations, how grateful I am at the Royal Mail for the good people from Bonehead who've supplied our new keg system. I've had to borrow off bits of their <laughs> festival system, so we wouldn't be having tap beer at the moment at the Royal Mail without their good work. So a shout out to them. And um, also Chris from Moondog, who uh, has been on the podcast himself in the past, who came in and dismantled a whole lot of um, beer keg connectors. 
he reassembled some of them, but then just sort of left a trail of destruction. But uh, it was good to have some moral support as we were working through those processes today. So, um, as you say, it's what the craft beer community is all about. Absolutely. We always have a whole bunch of questions about beers you go bring back, and Travis, other Travis in the in the cool room, has uh, asked about Pinky Pinky from Bra. Oh God, I hate that word. Um, yeah. You're not going to do any good in the south of France, mate. No, I'm going to suck there. But that's I'm just going to be drinking rosé, so it doesn't matter. I can say rosé. Thank, um, Thank you very much. I think it's one of your personal favourites, one I believe. Yeah, so, so with the popularity of fruit beers, yeah, coming back. When is it coming back? As is it on the radar? Good. Yeah, we've, we've kind of got a similar beer, but yeah, <laughs> I think you, if Scott pushed for it, I think we could get it across the line. I need to push harder. <laughs> Look, the, the, we'll, let's round out our discussion of the MIA with a question completely unrelated to it, which is our traditional cool room question, uh, where we like to hear from people, you know, what's the strangest or funniest thing you've seen in a cool room or for that matter in a brewery or an explosion that was particularly memorable and some people have good explosion stories or, uh, you know, just those sort of bits where we peel back the curtain a bit and um, let people know, you know, what it's actually like to work in these places. And, the, you know, it's obviously based on the fact that the cool room at the Royal Mail breaks down a fair bit. And, you know, everybody goes, gee, it must be fun to run a pub. And you go, no, really, most of the time it's spent trying to make a cool room work. <laughs> um, I don't know what Scott, well, what Scott, if he's seen anything in a cool room. Um, I've worked in hospitality too long to say that I've seen some things in cool rooms I shouldn't have. Um, but uh, I guess there's nothing more confronting when you're a junior uh, and you work in a, a pub anywhere in the country. And I, I, I did. And I walked in and, you know, saw some, some pigs just hanging there just as soon as you open the door. Yeah. Recess. Just open the door right there. You can beat pigs. <laughs> um, but no, I don't think I have any crazy. I mean, no, I did have a, I did have a cool room uh, roof cave in on me once. Uh, due to a, a bread roll in a storm, but that's uh, that's about as much as I I've got. You you have to explain that one a little bit, I think. I am. Um, I was fortunate enough, in some ways, I guess, to work in a really dodgy bottle shop um, in Melbourne's eastern suburbs when I was growing up, and uh, we were next door to a bakery. The bakery would throw out its uh, old stale uh, bread just out the back uh, every night, and. Uh, we assume some young kids decided to pick up some of the really stale old bread rolls and just throw them on the roof. And they'd obviously pegged them to the point where they'd blocked the gutter. And then a big storm had come through. Um, and I came to work the next morning and all of the, the, uh, the doors in the pool room were just like waterfalls. Um, and as we came in, the roof had actually caved in through the middle and just water had just ruined everything. I think <laughs> it was something like $300,000 worth of stock was ruined. Oh, oh I, I think this is the, that's the $300,000 worth of stock. That's got to be a record for the cool room, David. Yeah, well, the infamous Sierra Nevada reversed the valve story and ruined a couple of things. But I've got to say that that is a brilliant story just in terms of... For, for entertainment, that is gold. Yeah. There's, an, uh, there's infamous footage of, um, of one of the guys, I used to work with uh, the guy that I worked for there, now works at Ben Spoke Brewery, trying to clean it up with a mop. Um, which is with that that we played that footage on loop, I think, for about a year. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. 
that uh, that came out at the Christmas party, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's anything from anything from you, mate? Have you had a similar, you know, experience or? Uh... We we've imploded some tanks. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. The imploded uh, tank is a is a beautiful classic. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, so a, a few of the tanks were um, connected up backwards, which meant that the glycol was uh, in, applying pressure to the inside of the tank. So, as you'd empty a tank, it would weaken it, and it took took about six months. But uh, eventually, they started to, uh, to the weld started to break on the inside, and they actually implode. So, by the time we worked it out, we'd lost a couple of tanks. Jesus. Oh. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't, I'm sure, three hundred grand's worth. But <laughs> there's the. Uh, I think I've told this story before. It happens in the wine industry too when you're emptying a tank, but you forget to turn open up the top of the tank. So the vacuum pressure of all the beer being pumped out, all the wine being some pumped out of the tank, or even running freely out of the tank, will crush it like a can. Like yeah. will literally just yeah. But for the big tanks, that, that's definitely a thing. For these ones, it's not so much. But uh, this, this was the, the physical pressure of the glycol in the skin on the inside. Because it was constantly under pressure, it was just pushing the inside in. Um, even though not, not a particularly high pressure, but when the valves are closed, it was obviously enough to weaken all of the, the welds and, and uh, implode the tank. So I was actually standing in the brewery when the second one went. And I heard a massive crack, and but by the time I turned off the uh, turned off the glycol, um, it's a bit too late. It was a bit too late. Yeah, it, it wasn't you that did it, though, was it? It would have been some junior woodchuck who, you know, <laughs> no, it was our plumber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and is that why insurance is so high for breweries? <laughs> it, we need a list of stories for. Um, for for people who want to get into like craft brewing and all of the things that can go wrong in a craft brewery, just as much as a cool room. Oh yeah. Um, Corey in the in the cool room is um, has uh, just said has just made a comment. Ex plumber, it's like why would you fire him? You've just he's you've just t taught him by destroying two tanks. <laughs> why waste that money? Huh? Why waste all that? <laughs> <laughs> He's learned a valuable lesson that <laughs> he's going to take somewhere else otherwise. Uh, now, and, and also, Mark from Seaford was asking about a lot of chat here in the Zoom room. And one of the great things about joining us live on Zoom rather than listening to the podcast is you can enjoy the chat feature, have a yarn with other people. Um, just asking about darker days. Do we, can one of you guys just sort of give a little pricey of that and your involvement in it? Uh, yeah, so uh, Darker Days is our um, annual uh, winter dark beer festival. Happens around the uh, winter solstice every year. Unfortunately, COVID-19 uh, did not allow us to do that this year. Um, but typically what it would be is a, it's a, a full day uh, festival. We invite uh, local high country breweries as well as uh, cidery. Is there, I think it's one Whiskey. or two distillers last yep, year. A few distillers. Um, bands, yeah. food. Um, and we, we basically have a, um, a big festival sort of celebrating all the things that are dark beer. And we use that uh, typically to launch our winter dark beer catalogue, including our yearly stubborn Russian, um, Russian Imperial Stout. 
and have a massive bonfire. Big bonfire, yeah. With um, the, the last year we had it, unfortunately, was last year. Um, and it rained like I've never seen. It was basically a typhoon in uh, in what? And um, you could have made a fortune selling gumboots. My lord, yeah, I ruined a good pair of shoes. <laughs> like that. Um, and I, even the the homemade napalm that it was christened couldn't even get the bonfire started. We had to call the CFA in to do to light the fire. Yeah, to do the reverse CFA thing and light a fire. So <laughs> <laughs> my experience was very good at that as well. So. <laughs> The, the last of the uh, the questions, cool room questions I'm going to ask before we move on to the next beer, which is the mystery beer is, what glass do you suggest we drink the mystery Oh, yeah. Beer? I think that's a very intelligent question. I think that was Jane, was it? A very intelligent way to see if we can get a bit of a clue. Yeah, so I think it's basically, um, it's really subjective to what you think it should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a beer glass. Put it in a mug. It depends during the day, chuck it in a mug. Who knows? I think um, from now that I've actually smelt the beer and tasted it, I reckon this glass is... That'll work, yeah. Works pretty well. Now, I think this is going to be a very interesting chat. Oh, I love this. The mystery beer, because we can't... um, We can't record what the mystery beer is. And if that means I have to beep stuff out in the edit, I'll gladly do that. Um, oh, what was the what what was the OG beer? I like that question. Sorry to jump in, Trav, but yeah, what was the original? What was the original mystery beer? Yeah, sticker stick beer or sticker beer? Sticker beer. Um, so it was a German alt beer, I think, but it's from it's a it's a German alt beer from a certain town, um, and the name sticker beer or stick beer, whatever it's supposed to be, I think translates to secret beer. Um, in oh, Europe. that's good. Yeah, so our, our, our brewers yeah. are with that one. It was right on our noses the whole time. <laughs> so I guess my, my next question cool. on that it would be, when was Beer 1 released in relation to Beer 2? When did the first one come out? It was the same time last year. I kind of thought that might be the case. Um, before we delve too far into this, let's have a discussion about how this whole concept came about. Because... It's a it's an interesting concept, and I don't think in all our, as Warren pointed out earlier, twenty two episodes. I'm not sure that's actually correct, but we'll go with twenty two episodes. We've had a mystery beer. So, how did how did this happen? Uh, well, I guess this is this is my brainchild. Um, I it, it goes back a couple of years. It's um, it's the, the true story of it, it. It's kind of a jab at beer nerds in some ways. Um, I'm sure all of us or most of us have found ourselves in the deep hole of beer forums on Facebook or wherever it might be. Um, and I remember having a, a beer at a, a venue in Melbourne that uh, I'd assume a lot of our listeners here uh, know, Catfish. Just talking with uh, the crew there about, um, you know, the, the infighting between, you know, beer drinkers and I know better and I know this and I know that. And it was always this sort of realm of supremacy that, that they'd become from it. And, I said, well, I wonder what would happen if you just stripped away all the knowledge. You just took away everything they had and you said, tell me what this is. And, you, and, and it would happen to me, you know, as, as a sales rep or as a, as a beer lover. I'd have people buy me a beer and not tell me what it is and just put it in front of my face. Tell me what it is. Tell me what it is. Um, and I guess I sort of wanted to take that to a bit of a grander scale. And Mystery Beer, uh, I've been thinking about it for a few, few years and, um, it, you know, it was one of those ideas that I, I brought up and never pushed too hard and, when I started the brewery, um, the the guy that hired me, 
the, just before I was about to meet Scott, um, he said, oh, I told him about mystery beer at some stage and we sat down with Scott, had a beer and he thought it was the dumbest idea I'd ever heard. So we're sitting at the table and he wanted me to make an idiot of myself in front of Scott. So he kept nudging me under the table and he said, tell him about mystery beer, tell him about mystery beer. Um, so I told Scott about mystery beer and he, to his credit, instantaneous, he's like, that's a great idea. Let's put that in production. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure if you guys can see the chat, but uh, the Zoom room chat is slowly building momentum on on what this beer might actually be. Um, <laughs> I I I love the idea from a wine point of view. So to start the story, the MI, my MIA went MIA, and I can't find it in the fridge, and I don't know what happened to it. But that's <laughs> that's completely different. But I was so excited, I didn't drink. I usually would drink the next beer if I forgot or whatever, but I was so excited about this that I, I just held off and had that experience with everyone else because it's got that kind of thing where you, what is it? I wonder what it is. I want to have it as a group experience. I'm not interested in reading ahead in the, like a page ahead in the book. I want, yeah, it's really fascinating. I really, I think this is a really great concept. Um, and we can honestly tell you both Scott and I that, Neither of us have any idea what this beer is. Right, because yeah. that was actually going to be my next question on if you guys actually know what the beer is. Yeah, do you guys know what the beer is? Yeah. No. no. We don't know. Oh, that's we're even better. That's yeah. genuinely when this... Um, Only Reed knows. Yeah, no. so when the idea sort of came about, that was a big part that I wanted to have was no one can know. Only the brewers can know. Yeah. And we really we stuck by that. We wanted it to be basically like you couldn't pay anybody off and our brewer Reed... Um, there's a video on our um, Facebook and Instagram. Even torture won't get it out of him. Um, he won't tell you. So we really wanted to be a true competition um, where nothing would sort of come from it. What I didn't realise is um, as a salesperson, A, selling a beer that you could tell no one anything about, not great. Um, <laughs> so I was, that was going to be one of my questions was, did people just buy it and go, hell yeah? Or do they go, yep, don't want to know about that one? It's, uh, it's gotten easier. Uh, the first one was a bit hard. Uh, I didn't realise I'd stitched myself up until I stitched myself up. <laughs> yes. um, and then at the same time, uh, yeah, the, uh, being a sales rep, you never really want to give a brewer autonomy. Um, so that was the next problem. Uh, we, I basically said, oh, brew whatever you want. And then in the back of my mind thought, oh, he's going to brew everything I've told him to never brew. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting one to... to to get to people but i think that's part of the challenge is you know you just got to go in there blind and see what happens there's there's a couple of wine bars in in melbourne in the city who do i think it's every monday tuesday whatever um the one i'm thinking of is is the city wine shop on spring street and they do a they do a mystery wine on mondays and it's just a completely blind wine and there's so much like people people just get excited about yeah. smashing something interesting and the well, other thought the other thought is it also tests your brewer too because mm. if he hasn't hit this the mark of what this this style is then yeah. he's kind of ruining the idea a little bit like he's he's kind of breaking it a bit did anyone get the first one right no a few people oh. We got okay, we got people close to uh, close to the pin, but no one actually got got in. I think a few people. And and who's who's judging this? Is it the brewer that's judging the responses that come in, or is it? How do you respond? Like how how does the judging element work? 
So uh, we've changed a little bit from last year. Um, last year, we sort of had two entries. Uh, we had Beer Lover and Beer Nerd. So it, it, the one was a bit more skewed to guessing the style. Another one's guessing, uh, sort of giving us a review of the beer. This year, we've tried to streamline it to sort of one singular source um, and just guess the beer. And um, there's also a secret ingredient this year too. Um, which, which was, I was just about to say that. I, I just opened up the webpage with your your question list and it, like that all makes a lot of sense. I, I really like the flow of that. In fact, so much so that I already put my answer in, but I don't think I've got it right. The yeah. more here, I don't think I've got it correct. Um, basically what will happen now is uh, people will put their applications in. Uh, we'll get to run the comp until the 1st of January. Um, and then uh, I guess if the first person to guess it, if they do, they're going to win a year's worth of beer on us. So... Um, Even if you're a publican, and a year's worth of beer might be <laughs> We've defined years worth of beer by uh, how much by volume already. But yes, it is open to publicans. That was a big thing that I wanted. I wanted uh, I wanted someone like yourself, David, to be able to, to jump on. I, I didn't want this to just be a, you know, a punter thing. I, I felt like bartenders and, and everyone else should be able to jump on too. Can you enter more than once? You buy more than one can? <laughs> do you have a little form so that say if we had it at the pub people could fill it out and put it in a box at the pub and we can send you the box we've got uh we've got a little rip pad but the best thing about covid that we found so far is everyone knows what a qr code is now um <laughs> so uh the can has a qr yeah. code on it and our entries from last year we've, we've brewed a lot more than we did last year but they've already far succeeded what they were last year and i think it's just because people know what qr codes are finally and that's right next to the QR code for the Mesh Club. See how see how that uh, segue worked there. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure if you got how how involved you guys are with. See that how one. that segue was just completely undermined by Warren Wood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love doing that. Not <laughs> segways. Boot them to the curb. Um, I don't know how much you guys have, are involved in in gabs, but this imagine a, a a cheeky a cheeky couple of kegs of this at gabs. Or your mystery beer at Gabs, I think people would froth over it. They would seriously. Well, you might have our entry for next year if it's sorted. Then that's it. Yeah, you do it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, just no one except for a couple of guys knows what this is. You tell us. Yep. So bringing it back to what David was talking about, <laughs> you guys, tell us a bit about the Mash Club. You can do that one. Yeah. So um, Mash Club's really our our. Um, beer club if you like and uh it's something that we've been working through a little bit over the years um you know we just started out by um having a fixed price we send out a case and then after a few years we you know we had uh i guess the we're actually we realized we we're actually making quite a big loss on all of the beers that we were sending out so we had to rework it and and we've just been going through that trial this year um, but you know the, the idea is that um, uh, people who love our beers can get them sent to them at home um, four times a year. Have you found that COVID's made a big difference? I mean, we, we, you know, we've seen across the course of 2020 with COVID, there's been a whole heap of these, you know, beer subscriptions and that sort of. Do you guys sit there and go, we we came in at the right time into the market with the club? Uh, well, the, the club's been going for a long time and, and we actually haven't really, the, the, the MASH club itself has not really grown that much during COVID. What we've had a lot more success with during COVID is specific packages that we've sent out. So we did a pandemic. 
Carton to start with. Yep. Um, that was one of our first ones, and that had that was really successful. We did the High Country Brewery Trail. We've done other collaborative, um, you know, especially off our can the success of our pandemic. Um, the next one we did was we went around to a whole lot of other local producers and said, look, we can package all of your products up in a box and send them out to people. So, you know, that had olives and um, uh, wine and gin and all those sorts of things in it. So um, what we found is those sorts of, those sorts of packages worked really well. But um, we're still, our, our mash club itself is still a bit of a work in progress. We, we do have a really solid plan for it now. Which yeah, we're almost there. is rolling out. And, um, uh, you know, I think hopefully it'll work well for everybody and have a few more options for people too. So one of the, one of the difficulties we had with the old system was that it's difficult to customise it for people. So that's something that we've been looking at. And, you know, when you're doing a few hundred cartons to send out, you, you want to make sure you're getting it right. Yes. Yeah. We understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking that people in the Zoom room would probably want to come on and explain what they thought this beer was. But given you guys are as, you know, in the dark as we are, don't give anything away you shouldn't give away but i guess what kind of flavors are you getting and what beers does it remind you guys of um to guide listeners who are you know perhaps quite possibly never encountering beers like this before unless they uh unless they bought our wine stefana pack a couple of weeks ago <laughs> well uh it's, it's hotly debated and i will admit that there's uh there's a lot of debate amongst staff members everyone's got their own feeling i was uh I was not there on the day it was canned, and the initial response from a few people was uh, saison, which I think. Can you maybe just even talk. Sorry to catch you off there. Can you maybe talk about just what flavours and things you're getting from it, and then maybe what what you think it is because of those flavours? Yeah, I think it's the, there's a, a, a weediness, a Belgianness, like a, a bit of like that clovey spice, I guess. Yeah, I don't know what you're getting. Yeah, yeah. clovey clovey yeast character going on there. Yeah. It's definitely in that realm. That's I think that's where it's 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 sitting. It's got that esteriness of a of a hef or maybe you know something along those lines. But that's where we think mystery beer plays well. It's it's perfectly ambiguous. You know, it could be one of seven different things, um, and that's I guess what our brewer relishes in. You know, he gives you enough that you can taste something and you think you know, but do you actually know? And that's when you start second guessing yourself. And given, you know, in terms of the other beers we've had, particularly just coming off the MIA, that's a beer which is very much about hops. And this is a completely, so people who've never had sort of beers in a beer discussion before, it's not hops you're tasting in this beer, presumably. Maybe it is, but, you know, it's a very different way of deriving flavours into a drink, isn't it? It's more of a yeast and, you know, sort of brain-driven, you know, process. Yeah. Yeah, and I think... Um between this mystery beer and, and last mystery beer, uh, what we've probably noticed and, and what our brewer Reed and our assistant brewer Stokey have probably tried to do is, I think they're taking advantage of the fact that it's, it's a chance to maybe brew a beer that uh, if they'd brewed whatever the style is itself and we'd sold it, it may not have had the same appeal to, you know, mm. the, the more discerned craft beer person who's looking for more hype driven products. And that's just, I'm the same. I, I might not have picked it up. and. Um, the big feedback we got from Mystery Beer One was a German alt beer, obviously, or, or in that style. Um, was, geez, I never would have bought this beer, but it's great. 
Um, and I think that's what our brewers try to do. They're, they're trying to maybe take this as a showcase of, hey, you wouldn't buy this beer, but you're drinking it for the concept and look, you're enjoying it. So, yeah. And there is so much hype in the beer world now. You know, there's so much to choose from. And um, I think some of these more traditional styles kind of get lost. Yeah, so it's a good opportunity to be able to bring them out again. Mm. It does sort of explain to that question earlier on, doesn't it, about, you know, you know, sours and mid-strengths and all these things where the market, you know, you can put out a sour with, you know, Pat Cash's headband on it, for instance, and you do very, very, very well uh, just because it's a sour and it's got a mullet on it. Whereas, you know, this is, you know, a completely different style, but it might be, you know, you might have spent a whole lot more time thinking about that one. It's interesting too, you know, I think back to when we first started, one of our first beers was our Razor Whip beer, you know, and and uh, that's, back then, you know, we were one of a handful of Whip beers in the country. Um, and, you know, that, that was quite popular because it was very different to what people were used to drinking. So we found it, it went really well, but now there's so much on the market, we just, you know, we're actually, we've dropped it from our core range pretty much. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it, the, it's the, holding on at the moment. The whippy holds on by the skin of its teeth. Yes. <laughs> um, there's, I've got a, a thought maybe to develop a bit of a clue for our, our, uh, the people in the room and our listeners. Is it, there's a, there's a term called playing the man. And I think everyone here knows it. Do they worry about our listeners in the south of France, Warren? Can you say that? No, they would know. Like, I, I have no idea what playing the man would be in French, but it'd be something kinky, I'm sure. Uh, it's so, so the fact that your brewer so smartly called, called uh, the first one Stick Beer, Secret Beer, uh, as, as, as the first mystery beer, is there. Would he be as cheeky with this one? Is there something that that is playing the man? Playing the man, he would would they do try to do something very clever with uh, this? Would there be a in style as well? Yeah, 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 in style or or in yeah. I guess the thing about our brewer is he's a, he's a mystery room himself. He's a bit of an enigma. Like <laughs> unraveling reads. I was wondering if it was just a. <laughs> I, I don't know. You, you might have a better insight to that, but like I, I still can't figure out Reed. So. I, I love people like that. If you work with chefs, then they're the they're they're exactly the same. Do, do you guys want a hint? Given that yes, I, yeah, shit, yes. Given that, I, <laughs> given that I know nothing about this, what's actually in this beer, but one thing that I can tell you is that Reed loves using native ingredients. Mm, that's ah, good oh. hint. Good. So in the promo, in the show notes, the promo, I can just say, at some point in the two-hour conversation, this <laughs> might be helpful. It could be a complete left-field clue. Oh, I was thinking too. I was thinking something like, um, like tarragon. But but now that you've said, oh, maybe it's something. It's a kangaroo, isn't it? It is kangaroo. Or drop bear. He's put <laughs> drop bear in a beer. <laughs> Or potentially it's something like wattle or a... Yeah, we're... we're <laughs> hoop snake. Or hoop snake. Come on, Travis, work with us here. Um, we've asked people in the Zoom room if they've got any questions they'd like to ask. I do... <laughs> so it's a steak from the Alpine Hotel. 
I do feel like maybe by asking people if they'd like to talk about the uh, what they think the answer might be to this beer, we might have scared people into silence, but if you've got a question, please do come and ask it. This is the great thing about being in the Zoom with us live is that you can ask your questions to the guys. And, you know, we've got quite a few people who I know, you know, Travis and others have joined very specifically for tonight uh, because they're fans of the brewery. You don't often get a chance like this, particularly when at the moment we can't travel outside of Melbourne to come up and, um, and visit the brewery. Uh, guys, we spoke about who judges the beer, but what are the judging criteria? Do, do the tasters need to put into the website the actual style of beer, or will you base? Will it be based on if they get part of it correct? If they get the secret secret ingredient correct, or yeah. So, so what it will be is um, the first answer that is most accurate. Mm. Great. Once we've collated, That's a greatly critical answer. Yeah. So, uh, and and then I guess second and third will be basically. Yeah, and we're, we're fairly confident that no one will get it because no one did last year. So, <laughs> <laughs> no one's getting a year of beer. Yeah. <laughs> how, accurate, how accurate do we need, need to be? Like, so Alt Beer wouldn't have won it last year. You need, you need to be more accurate than anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> That's not wattle seed. That's, I, know which, I know which tree that came from. It's... <laughs> It's in the high street of Bright. <laughs> There's a wall tree next to the playground down by the creek. And... I did also like when I looked up the website that you actually have to put in an answer. You can't actually submit the form without an answer. So you couldn't just put in what you think the style of beer is. You've got to suggest a secret ingredient. You've got to suggest the taste and smell before you actually hit submit. So... That, Everyone that's the most there. evil Google document I have ever come across. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. I mean, I, I plan on drinking another 10 of these cans and just like putting in multiple answers and hope <laughs> that I get it correct. Well, my friends, on the basis that there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of other sort of specific questions from the room, and on the basis that there's a whole lot of other fun views that we can sit around and chat about, when we turn the recording off and all just relax and you know take off our shoes or whatever it is that we do in the zoom room um i reckon let's just hear the socials from the good people at bright to how we find and follow uh all of these things such as the great videos you do about torturing your brewer and so forth that sounds like my kind of thing uh so uh the normal channels are obviously facebook bright brewery instagram bright brewery and, and our website so um, we're pretty active on socials and um, we like to put some, some fun stuff up on there. If you haven't seen the torture video already, um, yeah, that, that went far left field on the initial idea. Um, our operations man manager, I think, lived out his James Bond fantasy in that, um, that film clip. Uh, so if you've got a chance, it's a pretty fun, what, 30 seconds, 50 second watch? So. Yeah, something. Yeah. I think the fact that we don't get a James Bond film this year, I think it's well worth checking out because it'll tie yeah, you pretty... over until February. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're up for best short film, I think, next year. So, <laughs> And the other socials, just in terms of you know, Instagram and stuff like that? Yeah, it's all Bright Brewery. All Bright Brewery, yeah. Um, Twitter, Instagram. Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Bright yeah. Brewery. Amazing. And we will put all those into our little blurb on our podcast. Um, Scott, Ev, uh, thank you very much for joining us tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure to have a chat with you guys. Um, 
like we said, things are getting back to normal in Melbourne and you guys are getting back to normal up there. So it's it's really good. We can continue to do this sort of thing and hopefully um, when things do get back to normal, we can still do this sort of thing, but try to do it in person. Uh, absolute pleasure to have you guys. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Great to see some familiar faces and uh, look forward to seeing you all up here. We will uh, definitely try to organise a cool room visit to the brewery when we can, no doubt. Cheers, guys. Have a good night.